Pied webinar. Assalamu alaikum. Today we are going to take up another subject that we've touched upon but not explored to the full extent possible and we should explore it further. This is the subject of the poor in the in Pakistan I should say, especially in the urban areas of Pakistan. We exclude the poor. We've done a couple of seminars, webinars on this before. We exclude the poor. We exclude the poor in many different ways. And unfortunately, we don't talk about it. We want to give them stipends and we want to give them help. We want to patronize them, but we don't want to give them space. So that's the approach that we take always. Today, we have got Dr. Faisal Shaheen from Ryerson University. He's the manager of information systems there. He is going to talk about engaging the informal sector, a proposal for state and non-state engagement. Dr. Saab, over to you. Can you explain yourself in 15, 20 minutes so that we can go into the question answer session, discussion session? Thank you, Dr. Saab. Go ahead. Assalamu alaikum, Nadeem Saab. Thank you so much for having me. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you fine. Go ahead. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you to everyone uh, for joining today. What we'd like to talk about uh, uh, in the next 35 minutes is as Nadim Saab has outlined is engaging the urban and formal sector. And this is a uh, very critical area for us given uh, current uh, events, especially uh, with in a COVID environment. And this has affected us uh, not only in Pakistan and South Asia, but across the global north. Now, myself as a scholar practitioner, I look at uh, knowledge sharing and I have been involved in that for some time in Pakistan with the blessed company of the various colleagues uh, whose logos are across the screen. What I'd like to do today is to summarize uh, a subset of uh, research that uh, I conducted as part of my dissertation. It's, namely water and sanitation in South Asia, looking at uh, comparative uh, settings in Dhaka, Mumbai and Karachi. Uh, then we'll talk a little bit about uh, better, better practices for engaging the informal sector in South Asia. And using a particular instrument called process mapping, which is used across the social studies sectors and social policy analysis, and how we can bridge that gap between uh, the hard infrastructure services, water and sanitation, and social engagement, which is what uh, Dr. Nadeem has outlined that we need to do uh, in a little more pressing sense. And then, of course, for those of you who are familiar with Taylorism, Fordism, and all the consulting buzzwords that are out there, the plan-do-act cycle, which we use in public uh, management, new public management, will be introduced uh, along with a mid-level roadmap of how to make this happen in small urban settings. And then finally, we'll finish with a little bit of comparative research. I'm going to speak only for another 30 minutes or so as uh, Nadim Sahab has outlined because we'd like to leave more uh, room for discussion. Uh, before I continue everyone, I'd like to say this. It's very easy for us as scholars to sit at a distance from one another and talk about these things. And from the bottom of my heart to my colleagues at PIED, SDPI, um, Urban Resource Center, OPPRTI in Pakistan, there's nothing more than I would like than to be with you, uh, sitting in the streets of Karachi, Islamabad, with our colleagues, our 
fellow Lahoris and Karachiites talking about these issues. But what we can do right now is at least share knowledge and practice uh, between municipalities. And many cities in the north, uh, as we've seen recently in recent years, and I've personally experienced this, spend a lot of time in public consultation, a tremendous amount of time talking to engaging people in the planning process who we never would have talked about before. Turn your valves on and then water and sewage supply is continued. Now we have to talk to the residents, how long they're going to be affected for, what is impact is this going to have on their lives? So this is a technique that uh, and an approach that is widespread here in the, in the global north. And I must say in Toronto, they do this quite extensively. Uh, and we need to start doing that more as uh, uh, we deal with the informal sector and try to bring them back into the benefits of urban society. And as Dr. Nadim has said, we, we, we don't do it enough. So this is our beloved subcontinent, just in terms of the research study area, the uh, three main cities that I looked at were Karachi, Mumbai and Taka, taking water and sanitation examples from these mega cities. But I also drew lessons learned from uh, Chennai from Bangalore, Delhi and Calcutta, as well as my own hometown, my beloved Lahore. So the research question that I started off with is how do water and sanitation service delivery contexts compare across these three megacities? For those of you who are interested in methodology and especially my colleagues in the social sciences, I use the mixed scan and process tracing approach to through a, through a series of causal process observations. And as those of you who can imagine have done such work in South Asia, the gaps were basically filled with case study and non-state actor experience. And I don't have to go into names, but uh, may Allah bless all of the colleagues we have in the field who are working with NGOs and CBOs and doing this excellent work. And we have many colleagues across South Asia doing this, who we have to bring more into the policy sphere. Back to the literature, if we look at uh, core comparator variables that compare the service delivery context, there's a tremendous amount of work that's been done by Kamal Siddiqui in uh, Bangladesh, as well as Umen Andranovic. Uh, there's five key variables. I'm not going to get into the method right now, but uh, that was used to really compare uh, different water and sanitation settings. The one interesting area that I think in light of uh, Dr. Sahab's uh, comments on engaging the informal sector, we need to look at the typology of state and non-state engagement. And that means how does the state acknowledge, recognize, have dialogue with, cooperate and collaborate with informal sector partners. And we had a very lovely, lovely, wonderful meeting uh, hosted by PIDE a few months back earlier this year, <clears throat> talking about just that. And we had the COCA Association, some vendors associations. It's that sort of uh, level of engagement that we need to uh, measure. And that was part of this study. Needless to say, I relied a lot on non-state actors to close the service delivery contexts and gaps within uh, the study. And they appear within the study findings, which we'll move to quickly. In the research context, uh, it's important to indicate, uh, to outline that uh, as an interdisciplinary study, there are many gaps in the literature. If we look at comparative public administration, uh, there is very little coverage of municipalities. Urban management is very understudied. Most of the, uh, most of the policy research tends to be on federal and provincial issues. 
फेडरल गवर्नमेंट को पैसा मिलता है प्रोविंस को पैसा मिलता है पैसे उनके हाथ में होता है वो बजट को स्टडी करें नो बडी गोज डाउन इट टू द म्यूनिसिपल लेवल एंड रियली अंडरस्टैंड और अप्रिशिएट्स वट्स हैपनिंग एट द डिपार्टमेंटल लेवल ऑन द फ्रंट लाइन इन क्रिटिकल थियोरी हमारे अजीज दोस्त जो हैं मेनी ऑफ दम स्कॉलर्स विद इन यूनिवर्सिटीज डोंट डू अ वेरी गुड जॉब अनफॉर्चुनेटलीफॉर्चुनेटलीफॉर्चुनेटलीफॉर्चुनेटलीफॉर्चुनेटलीफॉर्चुनेटलीफॉर्चुनेटलीफॉर्चुनेटलीफ
briefly touch on right now, I'm going to illustrate a, a, a matrix which has framed uh, my research. Uh, the matrix basically um, outlines the chronology of periods of events, defines a descriptive set of categories, uh, and again, recognition, dialogue, and cooperation as being definitive of how uh, state and non-state actors cooperate. And then finally, we look at uh, some of the uh, enabling and disabling factors. So the first case study that I'll look at is from Sabzi Mandi in Karachi. Uh, I'll let colleagues talk, look through the table in more detail at, at their own time. But essentially what we see is as this market grows and as traders recognize the need for water and sanitation services, they approach the local authorities. There is recognition by the authorities, by uh, the water and sanitation authority of the need. And then, there, and then there is dialogue which takes place. But what we find interesting in Sabzimandi, as in other areas of Karachi, is there is this gap between uh, recognition by uh, the community-based organization, in this case, OPPRTI, as well as the uh, uh, Karachi Water, Water and Sewerage Board. And we don't see a, memor a memorandum of understanding, terms of reference actually take that collaboration forward. The same thing in Ghazi Goth, uh, one of the many Goths in Karachi uh, that have been annexed uh, due to the expansion of, uh, of the city uh, through urbanization. Again, the population grows, uh, village members, uh, Goth members approach the city looking for uh, a recognition and acknowledgement. Uh, they try to put septics in place, there's political interference. There is that same recognition and dialogue uh, cycle and pattern of engagement, but it never evolves into a uh, terms of reference or a, memorandum, a memorandum of understanding where the community-based organization gets recognized by the municipal department and service delivery is uh, enabled to continue. And these are gaps that we find, unfortunately, uh, across Pakistan's lower tier landscape, uh, which um, in the case of uh, many uh, other settings across the global south, as we'll talk about shortly in South Asia, have actually been uh, overcome. So very, again, very briefly on some of the findings. Uh, in Taka, uh, our colleagues at the uh, uh, DSK Water and Sanitation uh, NGO, what they had uh, been able to do was facilitate service del delivery across uh, Taka's district of Mirbur. They cooperated with uh, the Dhaka Water and Sanitation Authority to facilitate uh, water supply to the largest slum uh, in Dhaka's uh, Mirpur, Karayal. Uh, and it's well documented in the literature for those of you who are interested. What the Water and Sanitation Authority realized is that in, when they converge and set up memorandums of understanding with these NGOs, they then were able to outsource or offload a lot of that community engagement uh, and social mapping and research to the NGO while encouraging recovery and collecting revenue from uh, the cluster of informal settlements, ensuring service delivery, and of course, um, marginalizing and excluding criminal elements from society that were stealing water and so on and so forth. In Karachi, as I mentioned in the two case studies, uh, we've had a, a lot of excellent work come from uh, Akhtar Hamid Khan Sahab's uh, students, uh, among them our departed colleague, uh, Parveen Rahman Sahiba Muhtarma, uh, who was assassinated many years ago. Uh, and part of 
the uh, crisis and the tragedy there was that uh, they pointed uh, to malgovernance in Karachi, including pilferage and revenue losses. But part of the gap, which I see as, uh, again, a scholar practitioner here in the North, is that cooperation and recognition and dialogue never really took off between the municipal utility and the NGO, the Research and Technical Institute, which could have filled that gap. That was done in Taka, and it's been done across many NGOs uh, in Latin America, in East Asia, to actually fill these gaps. And it's something I think we need to work on more in Karachi uh, and in Pakistan as a whole. And I'll touch a little bit upon a proposal shortly. In Mumbai, the um, situation is very dire. Uh, it's a much more entrepreneurial design uh, when it comes to uh, their points of engagement, primarily the establishment of toilet blocks. But you have very limited state sponsorship which is within the Bustis and within the Shanties uh, in Mumbai. Uh, there is a lot more in the way of layered criminal element uh, and a lot more corruption, which unfortunately uh, is a function of the density and simply the overwhelming uh, pace of sprawl uh, in, uh, in Mumbai and in parts of India. There are good case studies as well, but I think it's important to point out that with the high density and high levels of urbanization, uh, we want to avoid such a scenario uh, in any one of our large cities in Pakistan. So what's the gap analysis? How do we establish partnership? Well, some of the key lessons are as follows. We need to deepen engagement between state and non-state actors. And if we reflect on the uh, roundtable forum that uh, Dr. Nadim had facilitated earlier this year, we need to pick um, and select those associations that are obviously representative of uh, informal sector participants uh, in the uh, uh, in the large urban centers. Uh, one service delivery setting we might want to uh, select is, in this case, uh, street vendors who provide services to many of the uh, middle and lower uh, income groups and allow for the city's lifeblood and labor to continue. We need to identify partner interests, local institutions, uh, informal sector associations, and CBOs who all play a role in the health and well being of uh, the informal sector and, of course, urban society as a whole. The next task, um, or the next gap rather, is really increasing accountability and information flow where state capacity is limited. Um, there's agreement that's required, and this again is the role of the state to agree on allocated space for street vendors along shared sidewalks as an example of engagement. Uh, for example, what we can see is CBOs can possibly work with local security and police officers and ensure that uh, agreed upon zones for street vendors are designed and are respected and maybe repl replicated in other settings. The one lesson learned that I want to emphasize here is that uh, by taking such an approach, we're not suggesting a large multilateral organization, you know, big donor funded project. We're looking at gap analysis through uh, small scale uh, partnerships at the site level. State institutions, I would argue, are the best way to move forward because uh, relative to other uh, entities within the private sector, we're good at process management uh, in government and uh, being able to establish communities of well-being where members of different uh, 
parts of the formal and informal sector can cooperate. So the proposal is that we keep it small, again, in Akhtar Hamid Khan Saab's vision, and then scale up uh, once the benefits and the momentum has been created. Part of this too is also, and this is perhaps where uh, the state uh, can be best involved, is to invest in a proactive, committed and agile community engagement cell, which can keep pace with growth and replicate successful uh, arrangements. And those of you who remember um, the people's cell within the uh, Sindh Kachi Abadi Association, they did just this. It was a group of uh, agile, uh, committed uh, technocrats who were who were there, whose purpose was to engage and ensure that benefits were realized by all who were participated in the uh, uh, land allotment cycle and ensured that benefits reached the informal sector. And then looking at other settings across uh, urban areas and neighborhoods to see how uh, it can be replicated. So there's this collaboration that is required between state and non-state actors on site not through a large project, but through something that's very local uh, and can be replicated. And then of course, as some of you know, my colleagues from SDPI, Khawaja Saab and others who are on the line, um, I spent a lot of time now in technology. And now since most of us are working remotely, uh, it's not to be presumptive and to suggest that our friends in the informal sector would be able to participate, but there is a role for technology here to be able to monitor and map uh, where vendor activity is taking place, where they're coming from, which Kachiabadis they're residing in, and where the benefits of uh, these vendors' economic activity is leading to. Uh, and there's a lot of learning and appreciation that we can take uh, uh, because of that. Um, one small example I'll give since I'm ahead of time for the it appears. Uh, in Taka, they had uh, uh, one uh, of their busties, Karayal, actually um, uh, had a lot of uh, rickshaw drivers uh, within this particular informal settlement. And they were complaining of wage rates and uh, uh, a lot of uh, service delivery hindrance that was being presented to their community uh, by uh, higher income communities. And what they did was took social action. And they basically protested and said, we're not going to ride our rickshaws uh, for a day or two until our community can get uh, its share of water. And when the uh, surrounding uh, middle income neighborhoods realized that their major mode of transportation, which are the bicycle rickshaws, quite a beautiful feature in Dhaka, that these bicycle rickshaws were no longer in operation, very quickly, they uh, allowed for water and uh, pulled the necessary strings so that water supply could reach the settlement. So it's getting a better understanding of where these people reside, where these uh, participants in urban society uh, are engaged. Um, that can be also a part of this. And then of course, as the arrangement moves on, uh, you go back and revisit the um, original terms of reference uh, with uh, your associations and then uh, make improvements uh, on your model. Really what we are trying to do uh, through this form of gap analysis is see how we can make more transparent those activities that are taking place at the urban level and find ways where uh, municipal stakeholders, municipal state actors can see their, uh, their activities buttressed. It could be uh, community watch, it could be regular forums to deal with uh, local issues. All of these um, are spin-off benefits from that collaboration that takes place uh, at the urban center.
So who are the stakeholders? Let's now uh, move with the uh, 10 minutes or so I have left into uh, the stakeholder map. In the middle is the street vendor in the example that we've uh, selected. Uh, in terms of the informal settlement where they reside, we have the community-based organization, the informal sector association of vendors, of street vendor vendors that represents that group. And then of course, at the bottom, we have sighted men. Uh, the institution whose sidewalks uh, are around the periphery of, uh, of the location. Uh, they obviously have a role to play in engagement. And then of course, uh, the sponsor at the institution or the site. Uh, police and security are also involved uh, and they would have to be part of these planning discussions. So again, just a very rudimentary stakeholder map. If we look at local area partnerships, how do we set these up? Now, I touched on the Sansom typology of acknowledgement, recognition, dialogue, cooperation. Uh, we can very easily use that in uh, creating a plan, do, act cycle, where uh, in the planning stage, we have acknowledgement and recognition, interest groups are identified, terms of reference and very simple memorandums of understanding are established. This is the sidewalk area. It will have this many allotments for street vendors. <clears throat> We're going to go back and review this after you know two or three months time. And these are the rotations of vendors who will be involved. Um, having that planned out with all of the right people at the table. Uh, the do is really the recognize dialogue and cooperate where you implement this project, uh, stakeholder communications and monitoring on a regular basis. I'd have to say the Urban Resource Center in Karachi is uh, set the model for this uh, over many decades in, uh, in uh, <clears throat> showing how just regular dialogue can be used to uh, uh, resolve and propose solutions to issues. It's this type of stakeholder communication and monitoring that's needed. And then finally, last but not least, the ACT uh, cooperate and collaborate cycle. Check in after six months and then address and adjust any TORs and MOUs. Um, Nadim Saab, I'm going to use a little Urdu momentarily in memory of the uh, late Akhtar Hamid Khan Sabit, I'll provide a translation. Um, Akhtar Sahab had said that, you know, for those of you who are know and are in knowledge about these urban issues and want to engage, uh, first you should learn, then socho, think about it, and then samjao, and educate others to follow. So this... <clears throat> This uh, way of thinking is very much part of uh, who we are uh, in the subcontinent in Pakistan and in the pioneer, pioneering works of Akhtar Sahab. And it's something that is very much in line and is used by the plan, do, act cycle and these other typologies. I wanted to bring in just a little bit of uh, knowledge from uh, the urban north in terms of how such a, uh, a model could be supported. I looked at uh, different permit types for street vendors and other urban uh, participants in the urban economy at some cities. And there are about 80 different types of permit titles that are available. And these range from street vendors to, uh, to uh, electricians, to service providers, to merchants. All of them require permits from the municipal government in order to operate. Of these, there are about 26 that are service-based of that subset, maybe 12 are labor and skilled. And then from that original 80, I pulled out seven, uh, which, would have, which would describe to the informal sector. So these are traders, drivers, laundry practitioners, recycling, <clears throat> we call them scavengers uh, in urban centers, merchants with push carts, 
rickshaw valas. We have rickshaw drivers here now, pedal driving rickshaw valas. Very uh, interesting example of progress in Western cities. But uh, this is all, these are all, uh, they operate uh, as part of the municipal economic landscape. And the real, um, only three real interactions that take place with uh, municipal state actors are a police check, personal identification, and usually a vehicle license uh, if one is provided for a motorized vehicle or a non-motorized vehicle. So your permit <coughs> issuance is, is very simple and it can easily be managed by uh, someone. Uh, I think uh, Mahmoud Saab, um, we're, I'm almost finished, so maybe we can wait until uh, the end for uh, uh, questions. This is my last slide. This again is just a very simple roadmap for partnerships following the plan, do, act cycle. It just gets us all on the same page in terms of how we would draft TORs, set up vendors, monitor traffic, and then go back and review how the cycle is operating. I'm going to uh, conclude my presentation there uh, just with a few uh, insights uh, from colleagues who I've had the opportunity to participate in publications with. I would encourage any of you who are interested in municipal management or informal sector engagement to uh, get a hold of these books published by Routledge as well as by Springer. Um, some of our colleagues from uh, the subcontinent are here along with myself uh, and uh, offers many different ways of engaging uh, uh, urban uh, urban economic participants, formal and informal, uh, in various settings. So <clears throat> I think we'll uh, finish there. Uh, Nadim Saab, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Like I said before in our earlier conversation, I've been trying to come to Pakistan for the last couple of years, and I, I hope once COVID settles, we can meet in person and hopefully see how we can take this forward. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Fatih Saab. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Absolutely. Come to Pakistan whenever you can. It would be wonderful to have you here. Uh, questions, please. So I'll turn to Mahmoud Khalid. Khalid Saab, go ahead. Uh, thank you very much, sir. And uh, uh, it's nice to uh, see Dr. Faisal talking on a very interesting topic of uh, public policy interest and uh, going through all the intricacies and how he have mapped all this. Uh, but my general observation is that, uh, as he has also quoted Akhtar Hamid Saab, that this is a process which one has to really go into and think through and then talk about how to resolve it. So this means that this is not going to be an ending process. I'm going to cite two examples here. Uh, one relates to the informal settlements around Barimam, uh, in which the CDA basically uh, thought that if we can relocate them, maybe they would get a better opportunity of having a, a better living standard and they can go to their works and others or whatever. Now what happened that once that colony was created uh, and the permits, uh, what you have just mentioned also, that was the allotment of the plots, they all sold it out and they came back again to the same area. This is one. Second, how would you define the informal settlements actually? Because we see that in the same uh, informal settlements, so-called, uh, there are electricity meters, 
there are even industries which otherwise could not have been set up in regular spaces because of the uh, laws and regulations. So they basically facilitate many types of activities. And the last question uh, is again a kind of an example. We have in uh, Islamabad the Sunday markets called Atwar Bazaar. Again, that was originally thought of providing a space for the street vendors to have a license fees of about 50 rupees per uh, week or something like months. And what they've done is that they have sold their permits again to those bigger businessmen who are now formally doing business. So my question really is that, do you really think that we can bring in some formality in these informal structures and these are going to be sustainable? Or do we have to accept it as a part of society and maybe tolerate them more and think through how to improve their lives? Thank you. You go ahead, Faisal Saab. Thank you so much for the question, Mahmoud Saab. And again, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> unpacking, setting up these processes is, is very complicated. And what we unfortunately, I think, tend to do, or we've fallen into this policy trap, is we've relinquished much of our, uh, our action towards the market. And we've allowed prices to be put on uh, public goods and on these spaces. And as a result, they inevitably get sold. And this was a challenge that uh, I believe has been documented in many um, uh, housing uh, schemes and plans where lots of public land uh, were given to uh, uh, lower income groups only to have them resold. And it happens across. I think the solution to this though is uh, to take back those discussions and take back that market marketized space. If those spaces, uh, whether they're on the sidewalk, whether they're in Sunday Bazaar, are managed and uh, owned as part of the public right of way, and they are reserved solely for uh, uh, the temporary use of transient uh, merchants, of street vendors, of members of the informal sector, then it's a matter of putting a price on the license, but that license has to be used by a member of the informal sector. They have to be used by a street vendor. There's mechanisms where, and I'm relying a little bit on what the work we've done in the taxi cab industry here in Toronto. There is, uh, there are methods where you can allow them to be floated or, or loaned uh, to other larger uh, vendors, but there's a mechanism around that. And that I would have to say is part of the planning uh, recognition and dialogue uh, cycle. One must ensure that it's the uh, residents who are nearby, uh, who are uh, inhabiting the Kachiabadis or the lower income settlements uh, scattered throughout the city who are actually benefiting. So that revenue can move within that community and then result in their betterment and their improvement of livelihood. And then those same vendors are able to carry on uh, as uh, and carry on as participants within those allotted spaces. It, it can't be something where we just uh, we just plan and do and then never act. And I think uh, Sahab, you had uh, said that this is an ongoing process. The problem is, is when we simply give out the space, give out the licenses, and then uh, we never revisit them again. And then you don't know tomorrow who's actually going to be in that space. You've lost control. There, there's a governance piece. In terms of definition of the informal uh, sector and informal settlements, that's a, a long discussion, uh, Mahmoud Sahab, and uh, there's a lot in the literature on that. I look at informal settlements as those within uh, untenured uh, housing uh, who don't have title of land, and even those who are in low-income settlements uh, where they are 
faced, they're insecure, physically insecure, at threat of eviction. They, there's a long discussion there, but I think it, there's enough within the informal sector who require engagement, and especially the, the, the poorest of the poor. And I would say as well, uh, what we had uh, learned from Taka's example is that when you actually start to engage these settlements and understand who is working there, they will tell you who are the poorest of the poor, the hardcore poor, the extremely poor, the very poor, the poor. That knowledge and that engagement has to be part of uh, the process. And you rightly point out, Mahmoud Saab, if you end it and you leave it to as a market tool or instrument where we're giving out uh, uh, these licenses and there's no real engagement of the community, uh, you'll never find out who these, who these people are. Mm. Uh, the last question you had was uh, sold as assets. I think I sort of uh, spoke about that, but uh, I think your Imam Bara example is very, very valid, Mahmoud Saab. And I think it's, you need more of a process uh, around engagement, community engagement that stems from engaging members of the informal sector. I think I'll leave it there, Nadeem Saab. Lubna Hassan? Lubna, go ahead. Mute. Yeah, sorry. I, I was unmuting myself. So my question is about uh, the uh, water issue in Pakistan, uh, in Karachi. And uh, you might be aware that there's a whole ma water mafia that is uh, working there. And Mother, Mother Mabarvini has also, you know, in her life talked about it, that almost 70% of the water is siphoned off. And, uh, uh, and I would assume that the lower uh, municipal uh, officers are also hands in glove with the water mafia that is working there. So in that scenario, how would, you know, uh, uh, bringing the uh, lower municipal uh, tiers uh, in contact with the uh, informal settlements help their issue? Thank you. Excellent. And uh, uh, sorry, uh, 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 are you aware of any process uh, or uh, of uh, um, streamlining street vendors in uh, Pakistan? Have you talked with you know, you know aware of any um, you know project that is working on these lines? Thank you. Thank you so much for your question, Lubnaji. Uh, the second part is much shorter. Um, in terms of streamlining engagement with vendors, it's a site-by-site -site, uh, example. There are many examples, I think, in Pakistan where these processes are set up. The point that I'm making uh, within my presentation is that as a framework, um, there needs to be that dialogue, that acknowledgement, that recognition at the site-based level for that to work. And it's not, in Akhtar Sahab's vision, it's not something that's mid or high level. It's something that's very localized depending on the institution, depending on the sponsors who are there, uh, depending on admin, whether the police and security are involved, but it's part of a, uh, a broader process, a longer process, as, uh, as Mahmoud Saab uh, alluded to, uh, of engagement. Yes, um, in terms of, uh, to your first question regarding the water mafia in Pakistan, this has been a big problem, which has been ignored for, for many years. And yes, certainly, uh, <clears throat> one could make the argument that it's the lower tier officers that operate hand in glove with the mafia, but also that um, we know from uh, the documented evidence and it's 
over the papers for the last 15, 20 years that many senior level bureaucrats and others within upper tiers of state are also benefiting from this. Now, there has been a lot of work uh, done uh, technically uh, in terms of how to go about dealing with this problem. And that again, as a framework starts with uh, better memorandums of understanding, uh, encouraged facilitated engagement between the Karachi and water Karachi Water and Sewerage Board, as well as the informal sector communities, which uh, it services, and regular engagement and regular monitoring. And uh, I would have to look at the example from Taka, and there are other examples from other parts of the Global South, uh, where uh, when the, uh, when the uh, municipal utility started to establish relationships with those actual neighborhoods, they were able then to move forward uh, and do better monitoring. So for example, if the KWSB were to set up uh, arrangements in monitoring, revenue collection, shared billing uh, through with uh, many of the Kachiabadis, uh, uh, or now they're all regularized, of course, as you know, uh, with a lot of these informal settlements, and were to have regular meetings and regular reporting through them, they would then be able to set up, and this has been suggested by other people who have visited uh, Pakistan, they would be able to set up pressure districts where they would be able to better understand through um, neighborhood metering where water is being uh, pilfered uh, and where water pressure is relatively high. Once you can actually, once you get community mobilization around uh, ownership of those pressure districts, ownership of those meters and visibility and transparency, uh, then when these big tankers owned by the larger bureaucrats drive by and start pilfering, you can draw attention to them. And as you know, just in terms of the way law and order is conducted in, in Pakistan, as well as in other parts of the global south, when there is more transparency and more visibility and attention is drawn uh, to these acts, there is more of an opportunity then, of course, to stop it and or at least to minimize it or to track it. And it's not something that happens overnight. It, it's a very dangerous business. And you know, our duas and prayers for Parveen Sahiba and Muhtarma um, and her colleagues who have been in the line of danger for many years because of this. But the more you draw attention and awareness to it, the more um, government state actors will have no choice but to actually address it and, and minimize it. Yasab. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yazamat working in Pipe Fasas a very nice presentation. My question is very simple in a rather than the comments, is very simple in a sense. Most of the poor people are sometimes willing to do work or running some business in informal sector or as a state vendor, vendor, but they did not have a capital. So the government provides our financial institution provides some loan, then they can adjust their business accordingly and they can pay back that more. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you, Ayaz Sahab. Yes, it's excellent point. And I think um, we have um, our mentor, Muhammad Yunus Sahab and the pioneers of the Grameen Bank and microfinance that has been provided. That was more of a private sector uh, instrument, but again, I would have to, and this is as someone who believes in the role of government, the ultimate authority of, of government in managing these tensions. 
the uh, street vendors and loans to them, if they're based at a site-based level, you're building a relationship with those very vendors who will benefit from that capital invested in their local business and then the microeconomic benefits. So I agree with the government providing uh, support and how that has worked, but it's that relationship and that community collaboration at the site level, which I think can yield uh, many more benefits, especially in terms of uh, urban economic well-being. And, and we see this uh, here in the North, that the dynamics are the same. The real estate lobby is basically driving forward and bulldozing many, uh, many old historic communities. But where the communities gather, where they get recognition from the state and set up business improvement associations and draw attention to uh, uh, the culture and the heritage, the real estate uh, developers are kept at bay and then development is a little more controlled, shall we say. So the variables are similar. We just need to harness that uh, uh, social capital uh, within the informal sector, within um, lower income groups uh, to actually um, make change. Thank you, Ayasa. Thank you, Dr. Mirza. Uh, Dr. Hassanta, we see that in metropolitan cities like Lahore and Pakistan, solid waste management is a big challenge for government, creating multifarious problems for civil society. In your uh, opinion, how informal sector can be engaged hmm. to manage and overcome this problem. Thank you. Well, solid waste is um, uh, was touched upon in my dissertation as well. I think with solid waste, uh, what we come across uh, seeing in the literature as well as in case study examples is the provision of PPE. And I know personal protective equipment is uh, a challenge within the uh, uh, recycling sector, especially with the collectors, because they simply take whatever protective equipment is given to them. And as was mentioned earlier, <laughs> they'll sell that off. And then they're walking around, the children are walking around on rubbish piles with their bare feet. That management uh, and administration and engagement becomes challenging. But overall, it seems that uh, the solid waste collection uh, process putting a market on plastics, on recyclables, on organics, uh, seems to make the most sense. It's just, it, the municipality needs to have more of a collaborative arrangement with, um, uh, with uh, the recyclers to divert away from landfill and uh, encourage and facilitate recycling uh, within the small cottage industries. But uh, more than that, uh, and I, I come back to this, uh, uh, community well-being. The city has a role to play in encouraging that those flows of resources are uh, are uh, are benefiting those communities nearby. So, for example, if we were to have a large recycling center which was run by you know small domestic business, and most of the profit of collection was being taken by uh, that larger uh, industry player. Most of the uh, wage levels uh, and uh, income stream to the poor would probably be marginalized. But if some support could be provided to those communities of, uh, of uh, recyclers, of waste collectors, uh, then I think uh, their, their betterment would be improved. And you'd probably see a little more crowding in of, uh, of labor within that sector. 
people want to work for a good wage. They want to have a secure uh, level of income and, of course, a safe working environment. There is a tremendous amount of social capital that can be harnessed. It's, the state just needs to figure out where those points of engagement are, where appropriate uh, equipment and support can be provided uh, to, uh, in this case, the solid waste uh, management sector. And I think it is really with PPE, but I don't want to be naive to say that, you know, if you just give a poor person better shoes, they're not going to go off and sell it. it there needs to be some a better uh, line of control and reporting. And if you have that, you would probably get rid of the problem of ghost sweepers that we have seen in Karachi and other large cities where people are on the payroll, uh, municipal workers, but no one ever sees them. They're collecting a salary. You need people who are involved uh, in that line of work to be engaged as part of a broader community, have associations representing them, and then, of course, engage in some level of self-management and monitoring. Thank you, Ajaz Saab. Ghazali Saab. Ghazali Saab. This was an, a very useful, excellent um, presentation and, uh, and the comments. I only have to, uh, I'm recently involved in a study of street vendors in Karachi. Um, a field study, and uh, most of the uh, issues that came up have already been mentioned here in this presentation. But I think there is a, a basic issue that of the attitude of provincial bureaucracies in dealing with these issues. And, and of course, in the case of Karachi, of the superior courts as well, who have taken uh, um, a kind of, of or an attitude is that they have, which is that all of street vendors have been categorized as in the court's remarks as sort of um, criminals. And that attitude pervades regardless of uh, all the um, good work that is done at the local level. So there is, a, uh, there is a thing between higher levels of bureaucracy, their attitude towards the poor, and uh, now, of course, joined in the case of Karachi, joined by the court has given them some kind of umbrella uh, in this regard. So I think that is an issue that uh, needs to be addressed the lower level of bureaucracy and particularly in the local governments have a more positive attitude. However, their um, roles and responsibilities and powers are limited and more so now because of the verdicts or at least the observations of the court. So I think that is an area that we need to be aware of as well in when we design uh, uh, sort of policy um, interventions. Good, thank you. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Alisab. It's uh, but I would I would say to this that uh, don't even let it get to the courts. Uh, policy intervention has to be made at a much more local level, local level through program engagement and implementation. And this is perhaps the divide that we find ourselves in. If you leave it to provincial policy. 
it will be blanket, one size fits all, very high level, perhaps with very little teeth to it. What is needed is more, and I don't even want to say bylaw at the municipal level. I think it's more site-specific engagement where communities are actually uh, residing uh, uh, hand in glove with the very spaces of the institutions which they're supporting. And we see this, um, we see this even in Pakistan within our organizations. People who uh, know uh, the peons and, and uh, the local workers, if someone's getting married or if someone is falling on hard times, a collection is taken up, those individuals are treated as part of the family. And I'm speaking about the more progressive organizations, institutions, CBOs, NGOs, which I've uh, been privileged to have worked with. Uh, you need to expand upon that. Uh, it's in our nature uh, as members of the subcontinent to treat our workers and our colleagues as part of family. I haven't seen that level of muhabbat, of love, of care, of humanity here in the West. We're very isolated, and that's maybe a completely different discussion that we have at some later date. My colleagues, Khwaja Saab and others from SDPI who are on the line know I'm, I'm very critical of the direction that postmodern, post-truth Western society is taking, and there's a lot that we have in our own culture in our own belief systems, which can, we can use to, to do that. But I know I'm digressing, but working at the site level, having relationships with the informal sector and those people who benefit economically from the spaces we're in, that's, the, that's what we need so that the issues never make it to the court. It's managed very locally. Thank you. Shahina Bibi. Hi, um, I'm Shahina Nisar. I'm sorry I joined late. Um, but Dr. Fassel, what would you say, uh, I worked in the formal sector in the water and sanitation and community driven development also. And there was one project which I reviewed uh, in Pakistan and you know, I learned a lot. So in urban communities, the basic problem is fragmentation. You know, people don't meet. I mean, there's a certain characteristic of urban and rural communities and in order to, to establish or encourage social capital, it is not easy. So uh, I'm quite surprised. I mean, I'm sorry, I mean, please forgive me because I just joined and I have not attended your presentation, but I'm really tempted to say one thing. You were talking about metering. There's, even if there, there are meters in Pakistan for urban communities, formal communities, um, the tariff structure is so flawed um, that, you know, um, the houses, I mean, it's, it's with respect to the space of the, the building size that you um, deliver water and you charge water. And there's no proper metering taking place. Um, I heard something about metering and, you know, stuff like that in Canada. And then you wanted to bring it, the for informal sector to, 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 uh, to work I mean, to, to have indications accordingly with the vendors and stuff like that. That's, I mean, I don't think that would work in case of Pakistan. My main comment would be in order to work for informal, I mean, to integrate informal communities, there has to be an integrated and coordinated way of planning. And that includes different subsectors that would also include transport, I mean, along with land management, along with, you know, business promotions, along with housing, along with many other things. 
So um, just, I mean, to underscore, um, com you know, community-driven development is not easy in urban communities. And uh, you need, uh, and I have really uh, spent a lot of time, you know, in um, invested time in learning about um, how we could encourage social capital, how, because, because of course we know that, you know, the local government, the problems of local government in Pakistan also in many other countries. So we need to have a process thought through. I think the process is more important in this case. Thank, thank you so much, G. And uh, I agree with your, your, the last part of your, your statement regarding uh, land management, housing, We've seen this, of course, with OPPRTI and other CBOs that are doing this in Karachi. When water and sanitation lines, sewage trunks were put in, uh, the NGO or the CBO was about to withdraw and the community said, no, 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 no. We need to figure out how to do roads and footpaths and housing and education. And it just became very layered and nuanced and they brought and pulled the CBO back. And, and that is definitely uh, something uh, that is needed and by no way is anybody attempting to oversimplify it. I think what we are suggesting though is that and I guess I have this bias as a water and sanitation uh, manager and practitioner and researcher. Cities started with hard infrastructure because water and sanitation issues were needed. And it wasn't drinking water, it was sewage, and which was leading to disease uh, and uh, all sorts of illnesses. And this is across the world. So that hard infrastructure came first along with the need for roads, lighting, et cetera. And then the soft infrastructure um, naturally uh, came after. So water and sanitation is a, is a starting point to actually bring the communities together. Um, I, I mean, you may have joined late, but I just wanted to correct the metering uh, insight that you had. I agree, metering is a completely different discussion in and of itself, and it requires a lot more in the way of diagrams and science and finance to it. And that's something perhaps we can do at a later date. I was not suggesting that we look at metering at the local household level, although I would suggest that metering with large clients large institutions, commercial industry is a way to actually show the potential and positive service delivery outcomes that result when water is supplied and sewage is collected. What I was referring to with respect to the informal settlements is pressure districts where neighborhood meters could be set up where at least some level of monitoring on pilferage and theft can take place. And that way, the social capital that exists within the informal settlement can be mobilized at least to keep an eye out on what is taking place. Now, a lot of this is of course in the newspapers and it has been in the papers for many decades, but the argument is that before it gets worse and trust me, it can get much worse that we have much more monitoring and more eyes and more, uh, more transparency as to what is happening. So breaking apart um, in Karachi's case, um, the um, uh, distribution of water into pressure districts uh, is a tool to also show where revenue losses are being experienced. And, and this is something that's not just coming from me, there are many colleagues in Africa uh, and other parts of South America who have suggested this to the KWSB. It requires the political momentum and will, and there's other sorts of institutional factors, but, but that's the example I was getting at. Thank you very much, Fatal Sab. Thank you. It was a very good seminar. I enjoyed it. Um, 
we shall inshallah keep in touch with you it's uh, wonderful to know that you feel we can bypass courts and the fact that we don't have local governments and we can still make things work um i think researchers have to take into account the mess that pakistan is in terms of the role of the government you have to clarify the role of the government um the government here is predatory it's not a benign government it's not a government that's out to help anybody so i think that is mankur alson's famous thesis the predatory government we have to take into account the predatory government that will the predatory government act in this benign fashion towards informal settlements it doesn't mean act in benign fashion towards the better communities it takes up land wherever it likes it even yesterday a decision came out by the supreme court saying hey we can take land and give it to whoever we like so you know pakistan's uh, political economy has to be taken into account too we have absolutely no local government we live in lahore and we live with the at the at the mercy of the district commissioner and the courts the courts can decide to knock down buildings and they've knocked down buildings the courts can decide to put a street through a, a university and they can do it so there's lots of stuff that we can talk about but we had a very wide ranging discussion very good discussion thank you very much inshallah see you again folks we've got another webinar tomorrow on experts thank you faisal sir thank you everybody good night